0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tantalising comedians' Paradise. Now today's guest is an absolute wonder. He is Dwayne The Rock Johnson reincarnated from Brixton. He he has a very colourful life. He's gone from being in the car boots of of some very dodgy men to being in prison for seven years to now helping change people's lives. He is the remarkable... Junior Atkins. Yeah,
1: love that. that was an intro, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> was it better than the last one? Uh, yeah, a bit on par.
1: Yeah, the, the, Dwayne, uh, the Dwayne Rock Johnson reincarnated from Brigson.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I'll take that. I really, I why not? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and how's the cat doing? Is the cat all right? Cats, yeah, cats having a
1: kip here. I've got one on there on the footstool there as well. They're yeah. chilled out, they're eating, they're relaxed. They're just like I've eaten, the cats have eaten, they're chilled.
0: Good. Now, for anyone that doesn't know about you, tell us a bit about your life story in a short summary of how you became a man that helps re- rehabilitate people and help people better their lives.
1: Okay, so, uh, well, I grew up in South London, uh, Scotland Park Estate, which is dead in the middle of Brixton and Scopper. I uh, grew up there with my brother, my mum and my dad. Uh, my mum and dad were only young by the time they had me and my brother. They were like 18 by the time they had us. Um, my dad was a bit of a career criminal. Uh, my mum was a hard-working woman. You know, was put, putting food on the table for me and my brother. And, and yeah, I mean, we'd be in, the, in Brickson that time, in the early 80s, it was quite renowned. Uh, it was quite a rough place to live in those times, so um, sort of got caught up maybe, you know, with, with the, in the community, running around with a load of friends of mine of that age, growing up, getting up to all sorts of skullduggery, the usual type of uh, you know pathway for certain people that were around at that time in, in this area. So um, yeah, started off petty crimes, fighting gang stuff, you know going on to other things, burglaries, robberies, drug dealing, drug taking, drug dealing, in that order, whichever order is together, Um, and sort of growing up from there. So yeah, so we went from being young kids, just running around the estate to sort of um, probably being, I don't know, what's the word, word for it, really, just sort of just completely off the rails, basically. In terms of every, in the, in, the, in every sense
0: of the word. Okay, and what about what didn't you, you like? Your father was uh, was uh, was was involved in crime beforehand, right?
1: Yeah, okay. it's a cat. I do now Already, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my, my dad was already, like I said, he was already like a criminal, career criminal, involved. You know, he, you know. Um, these around me, the sort of the older, the older statesmen and gangsters of of South London. So it was, it was all pretty normalised for me, you know, coming down in the front room, sitting in the front room, with my dad, all these mates were smoking cigarettes and plotting, plotting moves here and there. So um, yeah.
0: So was any of it like lock, stock, and two smoking barrels? No, I should have said that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe for maybe for someone like yourself, looking from the outside, looking in, it might have looked like that. Yeah, it was pretty serious <laughs> it, being in the middle of it. So uh, yeah, big lot of fucking uh, two small bows. More for the more for the big screen and more for the, the little screen.
0: Uh, fair but no, but what's the what's the misconception that people have in that environment, growing up in that environment, they think people. Often
1: have. Misconception.
0: I mean... So what would do you mean? Misconception of what what do you mean, sort of like well, well what...
1: I suppose a misconception could be that, you know, it can sound pretty rough and it can sound terrible to some people it can sound traumatic that I saw things that happen, I saw a lot of violence, I saw, you know, um, you know, things that young people probably my age wouldn't normally normally see. Um but when you're actually living in it. You know i mean my mum and dad you know i mean especially my mum i mean she was uh, she was the the, the mum provider here and she done everything she can for me my brother we had a nice home you know uh, my dad might have been out doing what he was doing drinking robbing banks whatever he was doing at that time but, um in terms of inside the house we had a nice home you know a loving home caring home. Hmm. we didn't want for anything
0: and what? Yeah, okay. And, and what? Um, but what was the? What's what was the area like? Was there? Was there? I mean, a lot of people often assume that when you're, was there also a lot of love in the area, even though there was a lot of bad things going on? It was a,
1: it was a community. I mean, it, it, was a, it was a rough community if you wasn't from around here, but if you grew up here, it's what you know, is it? The minute I walked out the door and I made friends, I mean, I'm still. I'm still very lucky to say that 40 years later, uh, I'm still friends with the, with the guys I made friendships with when I was seven. We're all still, you know, the ones that are still about, um, you know, it's not in prison or, you know, or dead. We're still, we're still mates today. So, uh, so it could be, even though it was a rough era, there was a camaraderie there we've been together for this whole time. Even though our lives have gone in different places, even to this day, I still talk to people, I've still got friends that are pretty active out there, you know, they're doing their thing, that's fair enough, That's up to them, I don't judge them, um, you know, and they, they see me, they know what I'm doing now, I'm not involved in anything, I'm literally just, you know, working and studying and trying to be a better person
0: for myself and my kids. Hmm. Do, do you bump into them every now and then?
1: Yeah, 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 no, we meet up, we, we still meet up every now and then we, you know, we got a WhatsApp group, we talk and, you know, I'm still in the area, I still live around here. And I've lived there. I've lived there since ninety seven just since I was born, nineteen seventy six. So uh, you know, I've never gone anywhere other than prison. But other than that, I've always
0: come back. Okay. And how? With so you you had a sort of colourful life growing up, but how how did it how did it get to the stage where you got into Prison and then how, what was prison like, and what's the misconception of being in prison? Yeah,
1: prison, first went to prison on remand uh, when I was 16, done uh, a week in Feltham. Came out from that. Um, when I turned 17, I got done for a robbery, and I got three years. Uh, when I was 17, they gave me three years. I never had that time. This was in 1993 three years was a big sentence for kids my age. Nowadays, these kids are going to prison for 30 years and 20 years. But in those days, my friends that went to prison, they went away for like six weeks or eight weeks, 18 months tops. The three years was a really big sentence. Um, And I've done over over a year and a half out of that. Came out when I was 19. Uh, Then at 21, I got arrested again. i got eight years when I was 21 for uh no concern in importation of cocaine from Cuba
0: oh and how did <laughs> how did you manage to do that How did you manage uh, to yeah. do the the smuggle the, how did you get the contacts and like do all of that
1: well it was that was yeah i mean that was all done i I was over in Cuba spent a little time over there um there was a few of us there was four of us involved in it. i was like i said i was twenty one more balls than brains. I mean, and you know, I you know, just really didn't give a shit. I, I had no fear of anything. So, if an opportunity came up, um, and I said I'd do that, why not? Why not just we go from Cuba to Gatwick with three and a half kilos of cocaine? That seemed like a normal thing to do. It's so, all right, good money. Um, yeah, so. Obviously, got a call, came back, came back, got to Gatwick. And the, the funny thing is, it was the first time I'd ever been on a plane as well. i have never been travelled before. First time on the plane, I went to Cuba and smuggled three and a half kilos of cocaine. So coming back through uh, Gatwick, you know, I'm like a fish out of water anyway, because I don't even understand what's what. I don't know where you go, I don't know where you walk, I don't know about the Green Channel, I don't know all this stuff that I don't know. I was 21. I was fucking coked out my head literally on mm-hmm. so much cocaine in Cuba. i have done so much. I mean I I came back whiter than I went out there. And it was like 30 odd degrees where it was. I mean I'm really hot and I was in a hotel room sniffing coke the whole time and planning planning moves. So um so yes yeah, so no wonder I got pulled up by the
0: customs officer anyway. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what, what, so, when you got into prison and all of that, what, what, what were you expecting when you went into prison, before you went into prison? But what were the surprises of being in prison?
1: Uh, there wasn't actually any surprise. I mean, it, it, this could sound to people that don't understand. I mean, when I was growing up, I always knew that I was going to prison. It was just going to be, uh, you know, another. Uh, uh, I mean, there me is care. One second. One second. yeah it was a uh, just an occupational hazard like, that's how it was seen so i always sort of knew um i, I grew up visiting my dad in prisons um had you know friends have been in prison so i knew what what was what it was going to be like but i think at that age especially before I felt i Felton, mean, it was almost like written that you know what i'm going to go to prison monday and that's it so when it finally happened i was totally fine with it suppose when i got done after i'd done the free and came out and got arrested for the, the importation um, then I knew that I was in the, the big boys' league, then it was going to be, I was going to get a big sentence, and it's going to be a long time before I got out. So, um, again, it was, I think the insanity of it, where my head was at, I just accepted it, you know, I just accepted it. There was no sort of fine uh, about it or, no, it was just part and parcel. It was just okay. Not next year, not the year after, not the year after, not the year after, but the year after I'll get parole. And had to see normal.
0: No, oh, okay. And when when you got into prison, do you do you get this stupid question a lot? This is the thing that a lot of people say, and I think you're gonna know what I'm gonna say.
1: <laughs>
0: what is the soap question? No, I'm joking, I'm not gonna ask that. I've seen the naked gun. How much of that is true? Naked gun. Well, there's a scene in *The Naked Gun* where oh. the the guy drops the soap, and then, yeah. then, then all they bullshit. all jump out the shower and run yeah, away. That,
1: that might be in America, but you don't see. You know, I've have spent, uh, you know, I, I grew up in prison. You know, so from the age of seventeen to twenty six, I was in prison, and I never see one, one rape or anything like that. It's all <laughs> bullshit. I think, you know, I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure it does happen in American jails. I'm pretty sure there's consensual sex going on in prison. Oh. But just men getting raped in showers—that don't happen, I'd read. No, yeah. That's just—it's just, just a nice little myth uh, and story that people like to say, oh, "I got raped in the showers," but it don't happen. Oh.
0: And when you you told me this, like in the last interview, that you know prison, I th- I, I watched another podcast. I think with a, he's, he's a i think sneaker or, no not sneaker some other guy he ghost he was called he was a former colonel but he says that there's a lot of bullying that goes on in prisons and he said that some of them would actually try and push people to commit suicide in prison but what actually goes on in between prisons with their cellmates what's it what's actually goes on what really goes on
1: see i would, I would sort of disagree with that because in Feltham. Like the young offenders, there was a lot of bullying. I mean, the bullying was off the scale. You know, kids were getting bullied, left, right, and sent up, so like, you know, getting not canteen taken off them. Um, they'd be sitting in their cells and their people are making them sing nursery rhymes out their window, proper humiliate, bully, you know, um, uh, and that would go a lot. In the adult prisons, you know, bullies are look, look bullies are looked down on. You know I mean, if someone's a bully, they get it. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of fights going on, but the fights that are going on, if you're an okay person and you're not causing any drama and you're not a grass and you're not a nonce and you're not, you know, you can get through prison okay. okay. You know? Even the smallest thriller, you know what I mean, doesn't matter, you know, like because people don't like bullies. Like in, in, generally in British prisons, in English prisons, you know, a bully's shunned upon. You know, if somebody's known as a bully, they would get it by the by the proper boys. Because proper boys in prison ain't bullies. Oh. You no, know, the proper the proper top boys they're not bullies, you know. They don't take no shit, but they definitely they definitely don't like bullies.
0: Have you had any incident of that where you've seen someone that's a bully get get ironed out?
1: Yeah, 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 it's a, a lot. Or well, somebody comes in and they've got a bit of attitude, and they they you know they try to sort, of, uh, you know, try to throw their weight about on the first day. But you know, you can see that they're just being, they're just trying to intimidate people. Someone will come and give them. Come some come and chin him or something or just take him in the cell, give them a wide in put them in their place and then that's it. The thing is if you don't go in there humble you know, unless unless you're somebody that wants you know you've got grievance in there and you want to go and have a run that's how you want to do your sentence you can do your sentence but you do it down the block most of so it but go in prison if you want to be okay in prison and you're a humble person you know and you're not a wrong you'll you'll be fine
0: hmm. it's... Oh, what is what's this? Is there any? Um, what's the thing I wanted to ask? Is there any in American prisons? They've got a big race war. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's, like you got the Latinos, the, the blacks, and the whites. And I heard that in the British prisons, that there's a big, a lot of prisoners are converting to Islam or something, and that there's a big brotherhood with the Islam prisoners. Is any of that true?
1: Okay, so that 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 when I was in prison, I went away. So I was away in the nineties, and I came out in two thousand and two uh and i i have to say you know and i don't mean this in any sort of, but before um before nine eleven, there wasn't much of there was no sort of divide there and if you that after nine eleven, there seems to be more of a divide between uh islamic you know and, and non-islamic um oh. no i was yeah. saying uh, i was saying oh, oh okay. yeah i so, wasn't uh, i wasn't yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you know, so what I've heard nowadays, nowadays it is a big separation. You're either part of the brotherhood or you're not. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't actually um, report on that because this is all sort of in the last fifteen, twenty years. The last fifteen years has happened. Hmm. So I don't know.
0: Is does it make them make the prisoners much worse than than they were before with this sort of separation? Do you think?
1: Again, I'm, I've not been in this is before, this is after I came
0: out, so uh, I wouldn't know. Okay. And we mentioned this before in the episode that didn't get put up, but you mentioned that there's a lot of skullduggery by not only the, the prisoners, but the actual prison guards. Can you tell us a bit yeah. more about that? I know you mentioned that they would yeah,
1: say- What the question was was he was asking about how they get stuff in. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of the times, obviously, parcels so people people go and visit so they will stick stuff up their ass to get it in the prison now there's no uh, secret behind that but nowadays the parcels are getting bigger And you know, because now you can't have you can't have tobacco um so people pouches of tobacco and and prison officers are bringing it in they're getting paid a lot of money a lot a lot of money just to bring in a, a two ounce pouch of tobacco now an ounce of tobacco or two ounce of pouch of tobacco selling for 500 pound nowadays in prison you know, so what's a 25-pound pouch out here or whatever it costs nowadays? We're charging like five, six hundred pounds.
0: Hmm.
1: So a lot of prison officers, and you've got to remember as well, there's a lot of people in prison that have got money. There's a lot of real, you know, some proper life earners that have got money plugged away. And you've got these prison officers that are earning probably 30 grand a year. You know what I mean tops. they've got a mortgage, they've got a wife and kids. So someone's gonna come and um offer them. I know thousand pounds just a setting, and going to bring something. They're gonna do it. And they're doing mobile phones as well, and they're bringing in phones. Now you've got the little tiny phones. You've got these little tiny phones that, that prisoners can have. But now everybody wants they want uh, smartphones because they want to use the internet and they want to video call their their girlfriends and and whatnot. So um, yeah, prisoners bring them in.
0: And you, you said that they'll be very subtle in the way that they would go about getting the money. Like you said that they'll mention things to prisoners who they thought were money. Say, "Oh, my daughter yeah. needs some help or something." How would
1: they do it again? What was it? Was... yeah? So, I mean, it happened to me. It happened to me a few times. You know, prisoners sort of be hanging around and you like, just sort of asking questions about you know how much the cocaine was worth. You know, just sort of things. Then start talking about their own, you know, uh, their own hardships. Dropping little hints, thinking that probably I may have money outside, but I didn't. I was skimmed, so they got the wrong person. <laughs> but uh, because of what I was in for, and I was in for importation, you know, there was a lot of them thinking, oh, let's have a chat. So I knew for a fact, if I if I had the money, I, I knew who to go to. Uh, do you know what I mean? So there'd be certain prison officers that had already sort of marked my card that, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit short. So if there's anything going, on, I'll do it. And um, yeah, so yeah, very subtle, but you knew what they were doing. They were just trying to sort of like, you know, sort of do a little recce and find out who's got what.
0: Hmm. That's true. Oh, okay, that that's was. Did it surprise you in terms of like what you saw there? I mean, did you actually see any situation where someone that you actually saw a rich prisoner actually sort of deal out with a prison officer?
1: Yeah, I mean, you would, uh, we we actually up right in front, of it, but we know it was coming. New stuff was coming in. We knew. And stuff, it was coming in, that was it. That's all we need to know. So they'd be like, right, we've got a load of stuff coming in. What do you want? And we put our orders in and, and
0: so, yeah. And, and how was it for them, for the prison officers, when they got caught doing dodgy things and they became prisoners themselves? Yeah. I can imagine they didn't have a good time when they got, got in.
1: But, I mean, it's in the papers every other week nowadays. You see some prison officers been caught, uh, taking a phone into a prison and they've got a couple of years or, so I mean I never met a prison officer in prison, but like uh, it, it was happening, do you know I mean So they would be they'd be put on the um they'd be put on the numbers. You know what I mean on the uh rule uh, forty three uh, with the with the uh, monsters and the grasses. So they'd be put protection wing. That's what it is,
0: protection wing. Yeah. It's, I, I can't imagine what it's like for them. I mean, the, the people in the dodgy areas, like they got society not liking them and then the prisoners wanting to rip their heads off. I mean, you really are alone if you're one of those prisoners, aren't you? Yeah, yeah definitely. What, what was the worst situation you encountered that? Because I saw in a newspaper that one of the guys that did that, there was a guy bragging in the newspaper about how he went in and beat the shit out of them.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, uh, what, what was that, sorry? I think it was with the, where those two girls got killed by a guy, and he uh, there was a guy uh, that bragged about beating the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, no, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, as well, especially with those those high profile fucking monsters, you know what I mean? Like Lee and Levi, yeah, what's his name? Bed- Bedfield. Bedfield, those people there, people want to go and do them something, you know what I mean? Because not only are you getting a nonce and a child killer or something like that. You know you also get you also getting a little bit of fame around it as well for being the one who got that guy everyone wants you know, you're a marked man you know that's for sure
0: hmm. yeah that's that's true that's oh uh, yeah did you feel do you feel sorry for them? no i don't feel sorry for them.
1: <laughs> no, so no way oh no wait no let them rot in hell with the worst possible scenario you know yeah but, uh, but no matter what can happen to the, to them they know they still won't be uh, good enough you know i mean because there's some really proper monsters in
0: there you you mentioned in uh in the last interview you did that, that you've seen some absolute atrocities by yeah and you said that there's a lot of hitmen that only do it for like two pounds of drugs or whatever and yeah
1: well 10 pound they call it 10 pound jury but a £10 joey in prison is not like a £10... And a jury's like a bag of herring, basically. But a £10 jury in prison is probably... The equipment's a £2 worth out here. But, yeah, somebody get paid a couple of those to just go and bash someone up because they owe them money, or they've done a ramen, or they've done something. And, um, as I said, I mean, I've seen some real bad things, but I think, like, the the worst one is seeing oil, uh, boiling oil getting thrown over a man's face. Um and just literally the guy's kind of skin's melted off his face i've seen boiling water and sugar loads of times that's nothing i mean that that burns but the boiling of uh, oil from the stove because in certain prisons especially in long-term as prisons you've got you've got kitchens and you can cook your own food you know, it's a bit an extra bit of a privilege but you know, you're doing it on seven so you can buy your own food you still get a prison food but you can You know, um, getting what we call food boats, a few of which you put your money together and you do a bit of cooking each day. Um, It's a lot that the long term prisoners have got that uh, facilities. Um, And on this one occasion, this guy, the oil was on, whatever he was doing, whatever he was cooking, I don't know, the oil was on. Guys come in, just grabbed the pot and just thrown it in his face while it was boiling. uh, like I said, I could still hear the screams from this day. I wasn't in the kitchen. I was on the wing. So I didn't actually see that happen at the time. It was just a case of the, the screams enough and then him getting taken out. I saw him when he came back months later. Um, he's a black guy, but his face had all been peeled off and he's all sort of uh, pink and uh, it's just horrendous. you hanging down here. And uh, did... Prison officer, i seen prison officer get stabbed. Uh, oh. Yes, a few, yeah, few stabs. You see a prison officer get stabbed in his chest. Only with a little silly knife. It wasn't because when I got a white shirt on, it's covered in blood. It was literally just a, a homemade little shank. But, um I've seen that plenty of prison officers get knocked out. It's quite regular.
0: It's oh,
1: with, up, anyway.
0: Okay. And is Okay. What, what about Charles Bonson? Have you seen him fight? No, that's a stupid question, I'm not gonna ask.
1: No, no, no I've never, I mean those are people Me, I've never I've never met i've never been in prison with him, but i know loads of people that have been in prison with him you know since he's been obviously he's been in the circuit for, for 40 years i don't know what it is now but um there's plenty plenty of people that have, that have crossed paths with him but i i've never crossed paths with him now hmm.
0: stories. there's loads of stories out there he is, yeah, he's, he's, he's an interesting fellow. I, I hear, I hear I saw that little video he did with Tom Hardy, where he mm. said, um, he talked about that boy is in the flood. Or so. Do you remember that? I've seen that, yeah, yeah I've seen that, yeah. It's <laughs> strangely enough, I think that's a good quote. It's a bit mad and a bit weird, but it's actually a good quote. Yeah. Cut it off. You see that boy that drowned in the floods? That wouldn't happen to me. I would say, <laughs> cut it off, nah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was a good quote, but... With, so what advice would you have? What, what, what if someone does go to prison? What would you say is a survival guide for them?
1: I I was told this. So when I when I went into when I first went into Highdown, it was an like ACAP prison. At that time, uh, um, it's not anymore. But in '98, and there was some ACAPS on there. Some really, really, um, eighteen gangsters. I mean, and there was one guy. Uh, he said to me, uh, his name was Donald Treadwin. Don Treadwin, uh, he's probably dead now, but he was part of the the Richardson's part of the Richardson's firm. Um, and he was an old guy, really old guy. He was, he was actually he was actually making the tea in there. Everyone respected him. Um, and he just said to me, he "Goes, listen, never say anything about anybody you're not willing to say to their face." Hmm. Because it will come back and bite you. So never say, even if you've got the ump to someone, unless you're willing to say it to that person, don't say it to that person because it will. So only ever say what you're willing to say to someone's face. And that, that bit of advice there can seem like, to you, might seem like nothing. But in prison, you, as time went on, and I saw the amount of people that came unstuck because they said something about someone and it came back to them and they end up getting a beating because, you know, the, um, um what do they call it? Um, you know nothing, you know, everything just gets about in prison. People talk because people people are bored as well. So, so people will say, Oh, that he was talking about you, just to see a bit of action. So that would be one thing, definitely. Never say anything about anybody you're not willing to say to their face. That'd be one. And be humble. Um, you know, don't take no shit neither. Don't be a doormat, you know, but just be just be so that'd be my my advice. Keep humble. Don't do any, any wrong. Don't talk about anyone. Get on with your own bird. Do your own bird. And that's it. Hmm.
0: And with uh... but with being what was the what, what was the best moment you've had in prison? What was the bit where you were some great times.
1: Those are great times. You <laughs> know, parties, um, I swear, like I mean, we had those parties. We used to make our own alcohol, make our own gooch, and I'd get drunk. Uh, there was a, a short period of time I was in Ford prison, which was an open prison, coming towards the end of my sentence. Um, and I made my run over because it was only a small fence. It was an open prison. Ran over the fence and went Tesco's, Tesco Express, or big bottle of vodka, or a whole roast chicken. All well, Picardi uh, breezes had only just come out, things I'd never seen them before. Bacardi, all these Picardi breezes and come back in the cell. We're all in the cell, we're literally having a party. And then Scrooge have come in, prison officers have come in, saw, saw us all sitting there, see the bottle of ox like that, saw the roast chicken. I thought we were just taking the piss. We all got nits anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, that a funny time. I met some really, really funny people. I met some really, really good people. Um, some people that I'm still friends with today, um, that I still keep in touch with, and I met some real fucking monsters, and I met some real nutters, you know, and some real gangsters. So I met all different types of
0: people in there. What distinguishes the different characters if you were to see them on the street?
1: <laughs> no, not uh, on the street,
0: but what, what, how, what, what this, how do you spot them if in prison, like these ones that you're mentioning?
1: Well, the real, real serious guys are the most humble ones. They're the ones that be sitting there playing backgammon. Do I mean? And there'll be a few of them. Only a few of them there. Uh, there won't be a load of people around. And be a few, you no know, older, usually older guys. You know, um, sort of humble. You get the loud nutters. You know, the ones that come in, they're all mouth and everything, and they're just really because they're the most frightened. But they can have a fight as well. So they're out there getting bent up all the time and going down the block. You get the guys that just sort of shouldn't really be there. <laughs> you know I mean, you get the old guy that sort of something happens, something a bit like your uh, your uh, what's his name in Shawshank Sure Strength Redemption.
0: It's okay, yes, the, the main man, guy. The white I guy in it. The one that keeps getting bothered for a bit of business by the sisters.
1: Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, just somebody that there was a lot of people like him, you know, that sort of didn't really fit in, shouldn't be there. You need a load of those. Uh something might have happened there might have been a dream driving incident or something you know so a lot of people like that and a lot of people that just want to get on with their sentence they are just there no problem don't want to cause any problem um you know but can look after themselves still but don't need to be an aggro don't need aggro
0: hmm. and with what was what with the with the one thing that you mentioned last week you said that being in an affair being in a life of crime you learned a lot more about people than you would have had you not been on those yeah what are the key things that you would say that you learned about people and how to handle people as a yeah, result of your upbringing I, and experiences
1: i think when you when you sort of you know if you lived the lifestyle i lived and it was you know you're, you're out on the road you're on offer you know, it's a violent, a violent world. You need to learn to read people pretty quick. And in prison, everything's magnified another thousand times. So anything could piss somebody off and it can go. It can kick off any time. As much as I said, it, it's, you know, it could be cool there's no bullying. It can kick off, you know, because things get misconstrued in prison. You know, you say the wrong thing. So you have to learn very quickly, you know, the science of who's who, you know, how you can talk, what banter you can have, For some people, you can't have that. And I can have a banter with you now, and it's just a bit of banter, but in prison, that somebody that's got a situation. There's a lot of mental health in prison as well. You know, you have to be careful because you might say something, bam, it kicks off, and it just goes pretty tight. You know? So you have to learn uh, people skills in a way which I call emotional intelligence. You know? No matter how much intelligence you've got, it will not get you through prison. You need emotional intelligence. You need EQ to be able to read a situation. You know, so I would know for a fact, if I'm talking to someone, I can read straight away from their body language, from their facial expressions, the way they move, what they're doing, what's gonna come next. And I can tell whether this is getting a bit and I need to rein it in or I can, you know, so um, that <clears throat> that there is key, because some a lot of people don't have that emotional intelligence where they can um, register somebody where somebody's at, just by their facial expressions. Uh, where I've got that you know? and I've had that from a young age and I think my dad taught me that from a young age I had to read somebody you know He was very you know one of the things my dad did teach me about people's handshakes people's people's eyes and their faces mouths not matching up and then people got smiling faces but their eyes tell a different story he taught me my brother that when we were kids you know and I took that into my adulthood <clears throat> which was a survival mode for me, and, and it works, and I'm good at it, you know, and just so happens today, as a therapist, you know, we read a lot on body language, you know, so I can read a lot of people's body language and where they're at, and now it helps me in a completely different way to understand people's emotions and what's really going on for them, so they're just telling me they're fine. I can tell by a lot of stuff that might be going on that maybe they're not quite trying. To, do you know what I mean? So what once served as a purpose as a survival mode, and now, you to try and help other people.
0: Hmm. And tell us a bit about like how you how you um, man you got into your journey of like becoming well, effectively you have helped change people's lives, and to extent, would you say you saved lives in a way with what you did? Well, do? to
1: all sort of cut cut a long story short. So, you know, I came out of prison when I was twenty six. Uh, I came out. I met. I met a woman. Uh, we got married. Uh, I mean, I had this whirlwind relationship It been like two and a half years Big wedding da, da, da. You know, I lived with her in Kingston-upon Thames I was working as a security guard It was a completely different life Very quickly you know, I came straight out when it's It was a different life that I didn't understand Didn't know anything about um, You know, and I struggled a bit with it Trying to be this normal living Two-point in-house And a whatever um, But we was taking a lot of well, I was taking a lot of uh, cocaine. So I was down to about security taking cocaine and I ended up getting back into selling it a little bit. So I've actually gone back a little bit to where I was before I went into prison. And um, it just sort of got out of hand. I was doing so much of it, getting of it. I left, I uh, came back to Brixton, carried on selling. I'm selling bigger bits of it, uh, but doing more than I was selling. I was literally just selling and sniffing. You know, I looked like I was doing okay. You know, I'd have an expensive shirt on and whatnot, and I could be in the pub and I could buy a few rounds and look flash. But really, I was just, you know, just treading water, just trying to sort of stay stay afloat. Um, But then the mental health kicked in. I was doing so much of it, the drugs got stronger. um, And I ended up putting myself into a rehab. You know, there was a lot of stuff that happened, build up to that, there's a... You, know, you need a couple of hours for that. You know, a bit of, long story short, I ended up in a, a detox in, in North London called Sitting Roads Detox, uh, which is no longer there, sadly, because it was a, a lifesaver. You could actually uh, refer yourself into detox there. Nowadays, you can't do that. Watch out for who goes through. So went into there for three weeks, detoxed myself. 2005, Christmas 2005, I went in there. While I was in there, I was seen by a care manager from from the council, and they got me funding to go to rehab. I went to rehab. I went to Southampton for three months, and then I done secondary in Bournemouth uh, for another few months. So I was six months clean. I was getting, you know, I was working out. I was doing a lot of work on myself. Uh, done a lot of lot of therapy, lots of therapy. Um, I stayed down in Bournemouth for a year. Uh, came back here around two thousand and seven. Um, 2007 came back to Brixton, and that was from that from there. Really, that's when I started thinking. Okay, I started doing a bit of volunteering. Went back to the the detox centre. I got cleaner, and I'd done some volunteering there. Um, Realised I was quite good at what what they was asking for. I was quite good at was a people's person. I had empathy. I knew what these guys were going through. I was taking them to the shop. I was having a chat with them. Then I started doing groups. I was doing that support groups, and I was running facilitating that, and basically I went going to the field that way. So by two thousand and nine, I was fully fledged in the field, uh, in a place called Westminster Drug Project. And um, another long story is short, now I'm working in where I live in Brixton, in Lambeth. I'm leading on relapse prevention in Lambeth, so I run all the relapse prevention groups. Um, I manage I manage a peer mentor service. I've got 13 peer mentors that I train. They're all ex-addicts, clients that are now volunteers. And I run motivation workshops as well, as well as my studying that I'm doing at Regents University at the moment for my integrative therapy.
0: So yeah, busy. <laughs> well, with the, how, what's it been, I mean, you mentioned it in the last podcast that you really, there was a lady that you changed her life so much that she's now your colleague. Could you tell yeah. us a bit about
1: oh, that? I, story? No, no, no. I want to I say that I had changed her life. So I, I don't, I don't ever take credit for changing anybody's lives. So what I will take credit for is that I sort of help support them with their journey and give them tools to make them decisions themselves. So I've never say that I changed anybody, but there's. I mean, there's quite a lot of, you know, the, um, the outcomes from the work I do, there's a lot of great outcomes I've got. That I'm very proud of, um, but I'm proud of them as people. Uh, and the one what we spoke about was just a, 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 probably my one of the main ones is that somebody that was once a client of mine. You know, she was drinking. You know, she was. I mean, she drinking ridiculous amounts. I mean, you like know, she could. She wouldn't have. She never had much longer out there. She would. She would have died. Uh, we got her to rehab. She came out. She done. Three months in rehab, she came out, she came back to, to me in Brixton, she attended all my groups, um, relapse intervention groups, teaching her tours around that. She started going to other meetings as well, AA meetings. She then became a volunteer. So I trained up, she became a volunteer. Um, I helped her get funding to go to college to study counselling, level two. Got her the funding, she completed that. So what do you want to do now? She goes, I don't think I want to be a counselor. I so said, I said, well, do level three and see. Got her the funding, she's the level three. She completed that and she went on, she finished her diploma. She went, to completed her diploma. Um, she then, she's now now she's six years, she's six years sober now. She now works in my office next, next to me, and she's got her own, she's got her own um the uh, case of clients that she sees, and she's also a qualified therapist. So she works three days with me and two days in her own in her own surgery. So yeah, I mean that's great. I mean that's what I do this for. You know, and there's there's lots of them, but I would never say that I change them. I, I don't. Tell, I'm not that powerful. I'm not that great, but I, but I will support them in in making making sort of supporting around those changes that they need to go through.
0: Yeah. One of the things, the two things that really stood out for me, two things that really stood up to me in our last chat were like, you mentioned that even if people have been through a background where they can understand the people that you're helping, some of them aren't very good because they don't have empathy, they're not good listeners, they don't have good people skills. And you said that the main things, no matter what background you're from, to do well at this job, are good people skills, empathy, and non-judgmental.
1: Yeah, the reason the reason why I say that as well because like I said a lot of people come to my office and they want me to be their key worker you know and there's a few of us in the office that have all got backgrounds or we're all you know got some sort of understanding of the street or whatever but there's also I have a few colleagues that haven't got that but are very good at their job you know for some people and I, I remember that you know I remember when I was in rehab or client if somebody didn't have a, a drug addiction or never done a few I didn't really want to listen to them. And I only listened to people that that was like me, that sort of looked like me, or they were like me in in some respect. Um, But I never really got that much... You know, it it was great because it was inspiring. So I was inspired by them. But it was actually like a a middle-aged, old white lady, um, posh, uh, very posh, middle-class counsellor that I got my most learning from. Because when I was bringing stuff to her, she was coming from a completely different angle. She, she was loving, she was caring, you know. I knew that I believed and trusted that she wanted the best for me. And she saw things from a completely different place than where somebody like myself or people have grown, Now we are looking, we, do, 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 do you get what I'm saying? So what I was saying was that just because somebody doesn't have uh, a past in drugs and alcohol or gang crime, or doesn't mean to say they don't understand, you know. But if they've just read it from a book, and they've got no empathy no understanding then yeah it's not going to work so people skills and empathy if someone's got empathy and they know how to channel that you know that there is enough to help somebody that wants help and if somebody's coming for help and i feel that you've got i trust you and i feel that you've got empathy because you understand whether you've been it or not i'm going to trust you
0: Did- do you get have you seen some mad instances where someone's tried to do it and it's a complete adverse reaction to a client like
1: yeah, yeah, yeah I, I mean i've worked and this is the other thing so i've worked with people that are just a bit like myself that have got been in prison been in addiction been in a lot of violent situations and they're working in a field now which looks great and inspiring but they're shit they're shit in their job you know because what they do they they were sitting in a group and they would talk all about themselves you know, it becomes their show. You know, they forget that it's about the client and not about them, and they just want to talk about their own experience. And it just becomes fucking. Now, the one thing I, I mean, I, I talk on these on these podcasts. I talk about my life, but I don't do this in my in my um in my groups. You know, in fact, I don't even do a check in. You know? It's not about me. It's about the guys that are here turned up today. And you do get some people because they do know it all. I think they know. Think they know it all. And they would just talk the whole lot and people just listen and it just becomes like a bloody preacher show and then they walk out of there and forget it all in five minutes because that hasn't come from their own vocal cords.
0: And is it that to do with ownership as well? Like you've...
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I think ego. I think some. You get two types of people that, and I say this a lot, two types of people that come through recovery, that have been in addiction, been through hardship, you either get the, uh, the grateful or you get the entitled. So you get certain people that think they're entitled because they've been thrilled. You know what I mean? Well, I should have this and I should get this. And then you get the ones that come through that are very humble and grateful for, for the chance to have another gut life. These are the ones that go, go the furthest on this. You know, you see the ones that have been there and, you know, and they give it all that and they took, you know, you see them on fucking James English chatting shit. You know what I mean? Oh. Like, you know, you know, just sort of like, you know, just in terms of, you know, just sort of full of ego. There's no humility there. You see the ones on there, the start, well, I should mentioned James English, but, you, know, you see some really humble ones. But you see a lot of them guys, I think, because they've done it. They ah.
0: there. You, know you know what I mean? I, I did speak to, yeah, it does does feel with some of them, with James English, that they're being blustery. Like they're trying to inflate themselves.
1: I know themselves. a few people that have been on there. I know a few people have been on in history. You know, and they've been genuine, genuine guys. But the point, point being is this, you get some people that are just so full of ego. And the thing is, for me, if you're genuine, and I genuinely want to help people, that's what I'm about, you know. I genuinely want to help people. I genuinely want to better myself. I genuinely want to be the best version of me so I can help other people as well. You know, there's no ego here. Even though I could come across it sometimes when I'm talking about something, but there's definitely no ego. You know, humility is is a key factor for me and I'm not judging anybody and I just want to help as many people I've been in a similar situation to get from that to where I am now That's, that is my goal as many people as I can
0: Now one of the things that we said in the last podcast was and this is something that I watched in I didn't want to say what it was because well when you do a lot of things not everyone is your friend in the course or whatever so I didn't want to reveal Maybe I'm sounding dodgy saying this, but I don't want to reveal all my thoughts and ideas to people that I'm not necessarily friends with. Um, But the thing is, um, have you seen the episode with uh, Guy Ritchie and like um, with uh, Joe Rogan about extreme ownership? Because it mentions what you said about the best, uh, about a lot of the people that get through drugs and change their life around you say that you yeah. start from where they're at, and they take ownership of the things rather than blaming what's happened. And this is exactly what Guy Ritchie said. Yeah, said no, no, you no. Know,
1: responsibility. Like,
0: it's a
1: fact. But, if I like, so, so you, you get people. So what happens is when we're in addiction, when people are in addiction, well, the one thing that keeps you in addiction is blaming everything else, blaming your parents, blaming the community, blaming the police, blame. And while you're blaming, 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 you're not taking ownership or responsibility for your own self. The cornerstone to, to recovery is responsibility. You know, self-esteem, self-respect, and uh, responsibility. Taking personal responsibility. And the ones that come in, and, the ones that I see walk through that door, and they've got full of gratitude. Now, almost like they, almost like the fucking the drowning man. You know, when, when you pull the drowning man out of the water, and they take that breath. I see guys coming like that. They walk into our building, and you see them take that breath like they've just... You know, like they were just about to go. And they're full of gratitude. And all they want to do is, we get, you know, they they, they get humble. Because you have to humble yourself to ask for help. You know, the people out there that are using and don't want to humble themselves and ask for help, and they're blaming everyone else for their addiction and for their problems, but yet they're 56 years of age and they're still walking around doing this, blaming everyone else. It's never gonna, they're never gonna get it. You know, Mm -hmm. until you humble yourself, you know, there bit be a gratitude and humility, and then things will change. It will change.
0: It's bloody hard. Is it a bit like the Rocky speech that he gave to his son? Have you seen the film? <laughs> I it... love the speech. Yeah, I love Rocky. I love that Rocky speech, speech was called, life's about what's
1: it a get, It's about how hard you can get it and keep moving forward
0: and not, not blaming it while you're here or this and that. Yeah, no, that's right, yeah. I, no, I love that speech. I love that speech about what's it called Guy Ritchie. And there's also there's a bit from Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Like when you're talking about insecurity, like mm-hmm. he says to Jon Snow, never mm-hmm. never forget what you are, bastard, because then it can't <laughs> be used against you. Yeah. Like, these are things that are hard to put in that I want to try and put in with myself, but I love these things. I feel that that, yeah. that is something that you, your weaknesses, You hold them as armour, you accept them as what they are, you take ownership, and then you try and change things. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: That's
1: it, you've sussed it, you can't do my job.
0: I'm sounding like a right arrogant prick here, aren't I? That's it, I'm finished.
1: No, 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 not at all, not at all, you're all right.
0: But that's what I feel. Like, I, I get all sorts of insults all the time, like in the course and like other things, people get all sorts of funny ideas. But if I, if I didn't take this, like, yes, this is me, this is my weaknesses. I ain't perfect. I've got a lot to work on. But if you don't like it, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Oh. Fucking, yo, oh, sorry, man.
1: <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I feel like I'm doing a bit of therapy here. I feel, feels yeah, I
0: need to pay you now.
1: <laughs> I've could I'm just, I've seen the change happening in you. going from this sort of timid guy. And I, fuck this. I'm going to fucking take responsibility for myself. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Some, sometimes the podcast, I feel it's a bit of both. I do the therapy for the can com- be another person. And then sometimes yeah. I get a bit as well.
1: Yeah.
0: There you go. Everyone's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, but, you know, I 100% like follow what you, what you said there about taking responsibility and like going from where you are, Like you can't change yeah. the past. You are where you are. What's can't the point of it. moping about it? Just fucking yeah. get on and do things. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Inside I. Now yeah. <laughs> for anyone that's listening to the podcast right now, what advice would you give to them in like if they're struggling, if they really, you know, if they're losing hope that they can change their life around, what's one thing you would say to them?
1: One well, thing I'm saying there is help out there, you know, people have to believe that as well. I know because a lot of people say there is help. There is help, you know, you've got to reach out. One of the toughest things you're gonna do, and I, I always use this analogy, you know, um just before, just before the sorry, run it. just before the caterpillar, um, just before the caterpillar turned into a butterfly, he thought life is over, he thought his life was over, and then it became a cat uh, butterfly. The same thing with with this, you know, if you're suffering with, uh, especially with addiction, mental health, you feel like you're at that end where nothing's gonna, you know, where life is over. There's another you just got push that one more, one more th- push through. Make that call because there's plenty of numbers out there as well. There's plenty of small numbers. I mean, you you can start with the Samaritans if you if that's where you want to start with. If you can start with Samaritans. They've got all the details to every service in your area. But it's just about just not giving up and just sort of reaching out for help. You need to reach out. There's so many people there that don't want to reach out, don't want to ask for help, you know. And that's that's what's killing a lot of people out there. Uh, I've got people that come into my centre that lived in bricks in their lives, never knew what that centre was. Walk past it for 30 years. Never you've thought about it, you know, dying out of drug addiction, then you know, come walking in and finding that we were there. So looking for help, seeking help, you know. You can't do this on your own. Anybody who tries to work with their mental health or their addiction on their own, you're in trouble. You need help, reach out.
0: Hmm. And where do they find out about Eugenia? Junior? Instagram, OnlyFans, where do they go? OnlyFans, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you can find me on Instagram, you know, if anybody wants to sort of just send me a message or whatever, if especially I mean, if, they, if you're living in the Lambeth area, I've, you know, I've got, that's where I'm based, you know, and I can put you in the right direction or you can come and see me, have a chat. If you're struggling with addiction, come and have a chat with me in my office, no problem.
0: All right. So you know where to go. I hope you guys have enjoyed the episode. I'll see you guys soon. Uh, Junior, hope you've had fun. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Say goodbye to Stanley. Isn't that the Liverpool knife thing? Don't they say that? it's... You're late, mate. Do you know Stanley? I <laughs> know Stanley, yeah. <laughs> That's what she was named after. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. I'm so, joking, guys, <laughs> don't mess... Okay, be careful, guys. <laughs> oh.